today on Ag News Daily. Connect better with customers. Uh, their relationships are just going to grow better with retailers. And I think all in all, it would be a very beneficial thing um, as a whole for the agriculture industry. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this Friday edition of the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney, it's not feeling very Friday-ish here in Chicago as we got two inches of snow this morning. Yes, we probably had about, I I mean, honestly, probably about the same here in East Central Iowa. I woke up and everything was covered in snow. And here we are about five, six hours later, and it's completely back to normal again. So Mother Nature is uh, definitely messing with us. Definitely. But I did notice that the ground was very soft. So that that snowfall is turning into water, which is probably going to keep guys out of the fields, even if the weather were a little warmer for another couple of days, at least. Yes, I'd say you are probably right there. Plus, you know, I don't know that ground temperatures are going to be that warm. I mean, I guess the snow melted pretty quickly, so it must be warmer than I think, but yeah, it's above freezing. You know, Jeremy Miners, we talked about earlier this week there in, uh, well, not too far from you, Delaney. He said the soil temps were about 48 degrees in his area of mm. Iowa County. So, you know, it's yeah, it's getting there. It certainly is. Slow and steady. Yeah. Yeah. We're ready for spring to get here, and then I'm really ready for summer to get here. Yeah. I'm just hoping that we actually get a summer. Are you worried they're going to take it away from us? Well, no, I'm just worried that nothing's going to be open for us to be able to enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I don't think people are going to be that cool if this thing drags on. No, no. It's one thing to be stuck at home when it's gross outside and you don't want to be out and about anyways, but I don't know. Well, you know, but speaking of that, Iowa, the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, officially has ended school or closed schools for the remainder of the year. So that's not particularly positive, I would say, to seeing things get back and rolling. But along those lines, too, I also shared on the podcast yesterday, I believe, that President Trump is announcing his new guidelines for opening up America. And as I mentioned on the podcast, he's really leaving the majority of the decisions to be left to state-level authorities and governors. But he also put together kind of a proposed state or regional criteria to figure out if they should reopen, how to figure out when the right time is, you know, all sorts of things. So it's about a, let's see here, how many pages is this? 18-page guideline document. All right. And, you know, I'm sure governors and legislators and whoever else of importance across the country will be pouring through that. You know, everybody's Mm -hmm. looking for guidance in this thing because it is unprecedented. We've never done anything like this in the country or, or, you know, in the world for that matter. Right. It definitely is unprecedented. It is. And Delaney, we've also got, well, this probably isn't quite unprecedented, but it has been a very long time since we have seen Chinese pork production um, decline for the sixth straight month or sixth straight quarter, rather. So we're, we're coming up on two years of declines in Chinese pork production. Of course, our listeners are aware that corresponds pretty dead on with the outbreak of African swine fever in that country. And even though coronavirus has stolen the headlines from ASF over the past two months, um, China is still working to rebuild its herd. They are still suffering. And as today's numbers point out, they are not anywhere near where they need to be. Their output fell to uh, 10.38 million tons in the first quarter of 2020. And that was, again, below the previous quarter and below the previous five quarters of uh, pork output 
So this, I think, highlights the fact that it's going to be a long road for China to get back to production where they had it before ASF. Yeah, I agree. And turning our attention to the domestic pork industry, we're kind of facing a heavy road to follow ourselves. I'll start off here with the negative news and then finish with the positive news. But uh, I was talking to my good friend, Natalina Sense, who is a writer and web nerd for Successful Farming Magazine and Successful Farming's website. And she's been working on a story that will be looking at the Tyson facility that closed down in our hometown, Columbus Junction, and how much pork that's going to dump into the marketplace or, or really not dump into, but uh, lack of pork. And she said her rough math tells her that there will be 24 million pounds of pork that have nowhere to go in the two-week shutdown that they are enacting here. And she's going to share that article with me, and I'll be sure to share it on our Facebook and Twitter page so you all can read her findings. But on the flip side of that, pork retail sales were extremely strong through the month, month of no month of March. I was about to say November. But uh, the National Pork Board has put out some preliminary numbers here and showed that total meat sales were up 38% versus the same period compared to last March, and fresh pork was up 49%. So we're seeing a lot of people consume a lot of meat, specifically bacon and sausage. Those are the big winners here for the pork industry. You bet. Easy to cook, easy to prepare. Even a bachelor like me can cook bacon yeah. and get it done the way I like it. And so and, I think, you know, and sausage. And, and relatively well-priced, I would say. Although, you know, it still kills me that I was talking to a pork producer and he's like, well, bacon bellies are priced at 88 cents a pound, yet the grocery store is charging us 3 to $4 to buy a pack of bacon. Sure. Different markets. You know, different yeah. markets have different price points. The grocery store is selling to the consumer. The wholesale price is selling to the retailer. And if they can make the money in the margin, they will absolutely do that. Yes, they certainly will. But we are seeing margins get squeezed in ethanol. Now, we've talked about this a lot in the U.S. ethanol industry. The drop in gasoline consumption as everybody locked up their houses and stayed indoors for COVID-19 has, has absolutely crushed, crushed ethanol in this country. And uh, we're seeing plants slow down, et cetera, et cetera. Well... Another country that is seeing people stop driving, it is seeing restrictions on movement due to COVID-19 is Brazil. And Brazilian ethanol is predominantly a sugarcane based. And most Brazilians run a fairly high percentage of ethanol in their vehicles. So the ethanol producers in Brazil are about a month and a half behind the American producers in terms of feeling the squeeze, but the squeeze is starting nonetheless. So we're gonna see some pain ripple across the world because of this COVID-19 thing. Yeah, I have a follow-up story to add to that too. And I will just say as a short side note, I filled up my tank of gas today for 85 cents a gallon, which is just crazy that I can get it for under a dollar. But that, that is nuts. Yeah, I know. Cheapest I've ever filled up my vehicle. But anyways, in other ethanol-related news, we've also been discussing the hand sanitizer production that some ethanol facilities have decided to move forward with. And so we saw in March, on March 27th, there was some guidelines released by the FDA, FCC, and USP, some government entities essentially, that gave guidelines about how 
fuel ethanol plants could produce hand sanitizer. And so we saw quite a few ethanol plants spending thousands of dollars to alter their equipment to be able to make hand sanitizer. And now USDA, or excuse me, FDA has just reversed that decision to allow those facilities to produce hand sanitizer. They said on Wednesday, they updated these policy guidelines and said that because of the potential for the presence of potentially harmful impurities due to the processing approach, fuel or technical grade, ethanol should only be used if it meets the U.S. pharmacopoeia or food chemicals codex grade requirements, which is a bunch of blah, blah, blah. But essentially, they don't think it's safe for ethanol facilities to now produce hand sanitizer. And it's just like, what great timing that these facilities are literally looking for something to be able to use this ethanol for. And now the FDA has said, nope, you can't do that. Right, especially if these ethanol plants that are struggling already, as you mentioned, invested in the equipment to do this. Right, based on the prior guidance. That would be extremely frustrating. Exactly. Well, speaking of frustrating, Delaney, it's a slow news day, so I don't have a lot else to report, but, you know, we've been talking intermittently. COVID-19 is still the overwhelming disease we're talking about, but we did see avian influenza make its debut in South Carolina, and Delaney reported on that, what, earlier this week, Delaney, right? So, South Carolina and the Ukraine have both seen um, avian influenza outbreaks, and we're starting to see some international backlash. Uh, The first major player to ban imports from those two places is Namibia. They uh, they went ahead and closed their ports to American and Ukrainian um, production earlier today. And so, you know, I've got to wonder how many other International destinations for poultry are going to do something similar on poultry from South Carolina. And geez, what's that going to do to the poultry market? Who knows? It's a definitely some interesting times, Mike. But I have just one other piece of news before we chat markets and then introduce a new voice that you'll all be hearing very regularly on the podcast this summer. The Paycheck Protection Program, as I shared yesterday on the podcast, that those money or those dollars are officially run out, and we haven't seen yet with if congressional Democrats will support replenishing those funds with another $250 billion. But Bloomberg News put together an analysis looking at where those funds went. And the Plains and Midwest have been actually most successful in securing some of that funding. Nebraska has received loans covering about 75% of the eligible payroll. North Dakota got 71% and Kansas received about 69%. So it seems that the funds are being distributed pretty heavily to the Midwest. And I... Listeners, I don't know if this is true, but I spent a lot of times, a lot of time at uh, bankers meetings. Of course, you had to apply through a bank or a CPA to get these loans. And I think we see a stronger community bank type presence in the Midwest where people know their lender on a first name basis and they can just walk into the office and say, hey, I want to, I heard about this on the radio. I want to get my monies. And I, I wonder if that doesn't help us kind of goose these numbers when you have to go through a bank if, you know, you know the guy or gal who's uh, in charge of the uh, PPP stuff there at the bank. Yeah, I don't know. That might, I mean, you know, people that work in smaller towns definitely know their bankers as opposed to maybe East Coast and West Coast folks who are in big cities or have businesses in big cities that maybe don't know their bankers. 
Exactly. Exactly. So I'd be interested to watch how this plays out. Hopefully Congress can come through with some additional funding for uh, those companies that weren't able to make it in under the deadline. Yes, that would be the hope. But uh, wait and see game for sure, Mike. It is, and it is a wait and see game in the markets. And today, in most commodities, traders were willing to wait with their money on the table. We saw prices higher. Uh, we saw mixed trade in the grains, I should say. Corn and wheat were higher. Wheat was, uh, soybeans were lower on the day. Delaney, what do you say? Should we run through prices? Let's hear it. All right, in corn, the May contract was up three and a quarter cents at 3.23 even. December new crop up two and a half cents to close at 3.45 and three quarters. Excuse me, 3.43 and a half was the close. Looking at soybeans, the May contract was down four and a half cents at 8.32 and a quarter. November new crop down three and three quarters, closing at 8.50 and three quarters. Looking at wheat, finally a bounce to the upside. We'll see if this has staying power when the market opens Sunday night. May Chicago wheat up four and a half cents at 5.34 and a quarter. December up two and a half, closed the day at 5.47 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in live cattle, and we've got more strength in the hog market. April live cattle up 80, excuse me, down 85 cents at 94.65. The June also down 17 and a half cents to close at 86.30, while the August was up 45 cents, wrapping the week at 91.10. Feeder cattle, similar story, a little bit more optimistic for just Looking at price moves, the April was up $1.2750 at 119.52 half. The May up 80 cents to close at 119.27 and a half. Lean hogs, as I mentioned, in the green today, not limit by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly higher. The May contract up 60 cents at 37.92 and a half. June up 55, trading at the end of the day at 43.72 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market, we've got. Uh, well, mixed trade, we'll call it. The April was unchanged on the day at 13.41, while the May climbing after yesterday's 12-cent move, six cents higher to finish at 11.08. Delaney, why don't you tell us who our special guest is for the interview today? Well, Mike, I'm very excited. For those of you who follow us on social media, you may have already seen the announcement, but we are joined today by our summer intern, Ashton Karn, our new summer intern, Ashton Karn. Well, for today's Friday interview, it is a Friday indeed, because we are welcoming a new summer intern to the Global Ag Network and Ag News Daily family. We've got on the line with us today, Ashton Carr, and I won't share too much of her bio. I'll let her share that for herself, but we're very excited she'll be joining us starting in May, and you'll be hearing her as a regular voice on the Ag News Daily podcast. But Ashton, welcome to the team. Thank you. I'm super excited to be a part of this team and just learn more about Agnews Daily and working with you guys. Well, Ashton, before we really turn you loose here on the podcast, we've got to learn a little bit about you. Bring us up to speed. We know you're at Texas Tech, but where'd you grow up? What is Ashton Carr's background? So I grew up in a little suburb outside of Dallas. Um, it's called Prosper, Texas, and um, I grew up raising cattle and swine. Um, my dad's my main man. We uh, did this as like a bonding experience growing up, and we kind of both just really fell in love with being in the barn and around animals, and so I've kind of carried that throughout um, my life as I've grown up, and so now I'm at Texas Tech, and I'm studying agricultural communications, and so 
Um, I really love the production aspect of agriculture, particularly with animal agriculture, as that is what my background is mainly a part of. But I'm really excited to learn about different aspects of agriculture that you guys talk about on a daily basis. We are certainly very excited to have you and bring a new background to the table. Ashton, when you look at Prosper, Texas, you mentioned there that it's a suburb or outside of Dallas, maybe not very far from Dallas. Can you put that in perspective for our listeners who don't know Texas geography, geography very well? How far is it from Dallas? And when you look at the town of Prosper, is it a small town? Is it a medium-sized town? Is it pretty agriculturally influenced or is it a more urban town? Yeah, of course. So Prosper is about an hour outside of Dallas. We're um, about an hour, again, south of the Oklahoma border. And so um, we're considered north central Texas. Um, and as far as Prosper goes as a community, it was a wonderful community to, to grow up in. And um, I moved there when I was 13. And so um, it was starting to undergo a lot of um, commercial production. And so it's not really an agriculture-based town. It used to be from what I hear. Um, but recently my parents, they moved off into um, the Anna area, which is about 30 minutes um, north of Prosper. And so um, we now, we live on, I believe, six acres. And so we moved all of our cattle out here and our pigs out here. And so we're super excited to be a part of a community that is more um, based in agriculture and kind of get back to our roots. Now, when you think about the cattle industry and you have been a part of it, let's talk breeds, Ashton. What was your favorite breed or what kind of cattle were you raising throughout high school and now here in college? So growing up, we really didn't raise anything in particular. I had a couple of registered Herbert cows and uh, we had a couple of um, Simmental donor cows as well. Um, right now we have a couple of Charlets out in the pasture. And so I think my dad has kind of taken a liking to um, those Charlet cows. And um, my favorite breed personally, when I was showing, I really like Simmental and Maine Anjou cattle, um, probably because that's, you know, what I, what I did best with. So I might be a little bit biased there, but um, I just, I really like um, the way they look phenotypically and they were just always my favorite to work with. Ashton, tell us a little bit more than looking at your background. You graduated high school. You headed to Texas Tech. Why Texas Tech? There are a lot of other great ag schools in the state of Texas. That's a fantastic question. And it's actually one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, so when I was looking into going to a college, I wanted something that felt like home. And so when I first went to Lubbock, I was visiting uh, the summer before my senior year with my stepmom. And so we had went to a couple of other colleges and um, we finally made the trip out to Lubbock and it just felt really homely. You know, Lubbock is a really big town, um, but you, you would never guess it. Everybody is so nice. It's um, deemed the friendliest city in America. And, you know, I think that holds true. Um, and it just has a small town feel to it. And you can get anywhere probably within like 15 minutes. And so I thought that that was really nice just thinking about where I wanted to be and live for the next four years. And then um, because I'm an agricultural communications major, um, at the time, Texas Tech was ranked number one 
in that program and they haven't ran um, any of that data or anything since I believe 2015. Um, but it's a fantastic program and when I went and met with one of my professors, um, my stepmom, if she hears this, she's going to be so embarrassed, but we were meeting with one of my, my professors and my stepmom just started crying in the middle of this meeting and then um, the professor started crying as well and they were like relating because my stepmom was seeing me off to college that year and then my professor was seeing her daughters off to kindergarten that year and mm -hmm. so they were relating to that and so I thought that that was just really funny and it definitely connected my family to my professors and so I just saw how um, how much that they invested into me and that was unlike an experience that I had before and so that's really what drew me into tech. That is fantastic. It's great to build those personal connections, especially so early in college. Usually those don't happen until you're a senior or in grad school. So Ashton, I'd say you're way ahead of the curve. Speaking of ahead of the curve and looking down the tracks, so to speak, you're in ag communications. You have a production ag background. 10 years from now, Ashton Carr, what are you doing in your dream world? That is a fantastic question. Um, I've had so many thoughts running through my head in the past couple of weeks because um, I'm, I'm graduating in December and so I'm trying to think about where I want to go to grad school or what I want to do for my long-term career. And I think where I really see myself is working for a magazine um, because I absolutely love to write. You know, when I started my communications career, Photography is really where I strived. And so in high school, I was actually a part of our yearbook program and I was an editor my senior year. And I was just mainly a photography person because I wasn't really strong in writing. And then I fell in love with it um, when I was probably a sophomore and I started writing a whole lot more about things that I was actually really interested in. And so um, just being a storyteller, I think, is my passion, um, no matter where that puts me, whether I'm, you know, writing for a magazine or doing freelance work or even sharing my, my stories through podcasting. Um, I just really love to be a storyteller for our industry. And I think that, you know, wherever that puts me, whether I'm working for a magazine or not in the next 10 years, I think I'll be happy with, you know, whatever I'm doing. Yeah, that's certainly what drew me into this type of work too, is just being able to tell those stories. But Ashton, you mentioned something else there that I wanted to make sure we ask a little bit more about, and that is your photography, because I've looked through your portfolio and you were a really good, especially livestock photographer. And I feel like that's hard to capture that right moment in the show ring where the animal looks good, the exhibitor looks good, and your portfolio was just filled with those type of pictures. Yeah, so when I turned 16, I um, I got a Canon Rebel T3, and, um, you know, most kids, they're probably getting cars or credit cards or something like that for their 16th birthday. I got a camera, and so I um, messed around with it for a while, didn't really know what I was doing, and then um, kind of started to just take pictures for fun, and then once I got into college, um, you know, I had to take a couple of courses that required me to work with my camera a lot. And so that's where I really got the exposure that I really wanted. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of great opportunities as a photographer since then. I've interned with Show Champions Livestock Photography in Denver at the National Western and then again in Houston at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo 
uh, both in 2019. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I got to, you know, really get behind the camera a lot more than I was able to in classes. And they just kind of threw me in there and I was able to um, just really have a hands-on experience. And I think that that's the best way that you can learn, um, at least with photography, is just really, you know, getting behind the lens and seeing what amazing things you can do with such a small piece of equipment. And then... Um, my dear friend, Jace, we go to school together. He had me come and take pictures of his cattle and he um, was a big help in trying to get my name out there and allowed me to kind of experiment as a freelance photographer. And so that experience also um, has really gotten to me to, to where I am today. So Ashton, as our listeners are well aware, Delaney is the brains behind this podcast. As she tracked you down and you sound like a fantastic intern, I'm really excited to work with you, but I've got a really important question. This would have been my interview question for you. Agriculture is struggling right now. We see dairies struggling with low price of milk and milk being dumped. We've got the hog industry suffering as plants shut down. We've got tremendously low beef prices, low corn prices, low soybeans. Everything is terrible. In the world of ag communication, if you were emperor for a day and could change one thing about how agriculture interacts with the public, what would you change? That is a fantastic question. Um, and especially with everything going on right now, I think um, that America's farmers um, and really just farmers, I guess, um, on an inter international basis, I think we need to communicate um, about, you know, food insecurity. Um, you know, like I said, especially during these times, but just because we're in a pandemic doesn't mean that this is the only time that people are food insecure. Um, you know, people are food insecure every single day. And I think that just by communicating um, with consumers about what farmers are doing in order to make sure that consumers and, you know, their retailers that they sell to are getting the best possible product and, you know, the most efficient way possible. And I think that by doing that, um, agriculturalists are going to connect better with customers. Um, their relationships are just going to grow better with retailers. And I think all in all, it would be a very beneficial thing um, as a whole for the agriculture industry. Fantastic, Ashton. I tell you what, that is a great answer. And I agree with Delaney, you're hired. <laughs> yeah, he put you on the spot today. We didn't tell Ashton she was going to be grilled during the interview, Mike. Hey, you got to stay on your toes in this industry. Things are crazy. <laughs> yeah, it definitely are. Ashton, well, we were very excited to have you as our intern this summer. I've got one more question for you before we let you off the hook for today. If our listeners want to interact with you, want to learn a little bit more about you, you are on social media, Twitter specifically. Share your Twitter handle with our listeners so they can follow you throughout the summer. Of course, yes. Twitter is one of my favorite social medias to use. Um, my Handle on Twitter is Ashton, A-S-H-T-Y-N underscore Carr, C-A-R-R. Fantastic. Well, Ashton Carr, as we mentioned at the top of the interview here, will be joining us, will be a voice you'll be hearing coming this May. Ashton, we're excited to have you. Thanks so much for doing an interview with us today. Thank you. I'm excited to get in there. 
Well, Mike, I'm very excited. We're having a new intern this summer. She's going to be fantastic. We're sad to see Madison go, of course, but there's always a new intern we knew that would uh, fill her role, and I think Ashton will be a great, great replacement for her. Yeah, knows her stuff, coming into the egg industry. Those are the people we want on our team, Blaine. Good choice. Absolutely. And, you know, listeners, we consider you on our team. And if you've missed some episodes, no big deal. Just head to agnewsdaily.com. They're all collected there in date of uh, release order. So it makes very, very good sense. And uh, you can also check out the other podcasts that are part of the Global Ag Network. And these are your friends and neighbors who are telling the stories of rural America to anyone who care to listen. So check that out. Check their podcasts out on any platform you can get podcasts. And as always, interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, what's the other one? Instagram. <laughs> just, I'm so out of touch. I'm so old, Delaney. I know. Uh, just search for Ag News Daily or whatever. Type it into the Google and uh, we'll show up. With that, Delaney, should we let our listeners go? <laughs> Let's let them go.